Welcome to Transcending Comics, a podcast dedicated to trans representation in comic books, manga, and webtoons, both on panel and behind the scenes. Today, I have the pleasure of hosting the first ever podcast interview with Kim Wong, a writer and artist with an excellent debut graphic novel of Thunder and Lightning from Silver Sprocket. They're also a contributor in the Queer Witch Comics Anthology Volume 2, and have published a number of webcomics like An Eye for an Eye and O Radiant Devil, O Whispering Angel. They also worked as a background design artist with Titmouse Entertainment on animated series like Big Mouth, Human Resources, and Harriet the Spy. With all that said, I'd like to extend a warm welcome to Kim Wong. Hello. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for making the time today, Kim. So I gotta ask, how does it feel making the leap finally from webcomics to the first published graphic novel? It feels really good. It's really wild to hold the the final physical object in my hands and also to occasionally like get a message from one of my friends being like I saw this in the wild I think it's especially special because I did originally envision so I had done an original run by myself through one of those like print on demand things just to be like it would be fun to do this but there's only so much you can do with that. You have some limitations. But working with Silver Sprocket, I'm able to print it at like the original dimensions that I wanted it at with neon Pantone, um, which you absolutely can't do through print on demand. And it's just so exciting to see it physically and have the neon like blast your eyes out. Yeah, I, I think the color especially is really helping catch eyes and get attention to the book like my local comic shop uh, while they have kind of a dedicated queer comics and often silver sprocket section like this they put up right at the checkout window because yeah they really wanted to get some attention to this and yeah i'm glad they did like i wasn't thinking of getting any larger comics just a pull list that day but i couldn't walk past this wow that's so cool <laughs> But for those of my listeners that haven't had a chance to check out of Thunder and Lightning or your previous work, how would you pitch your comics to a potential reader, most specifically with your latest graphic novel? I would say I'm I'm really bad at like concise <laughs> pitches. Um for for this graphic novel, if it's okay, I'm going to read from the back matter because I think my editor Ari like interpreted my mumbo jumbo into a pretty straightforward summary that actually makes sense to other people. Yeah, it's a good sell. Feel free. In a world where pop media meets military power, two idle super soldiers are locked in a world-ending conflict on behalf of their corporate nations. Battles blast across a dying land, both sides convinced of their own righteousness. Ragnarok looms on the horizon. Yet Magni and Demo, young icons created for the sole purpose of eliminating the other, find their closest reflection in their opposite. Now, completing their mission means destroying the one who understands them the most. Certainly a good pitch for a graphic novel, and if flipping through the artwork alone doesn't sell you, like, I just couldn't believe how you managed to cram, like, an entire magical girl anime with, like, an Evangelion-style apocalyptic cerebral ending into an 80-page graphic novel. So, I think the question at the top of my mind is, like, do you have any tricks for how you managed to condense so much story and world-building into so few pages? I do think about stuff related to this a lot, because it's kind of, like, all design to me in a sense or like 
whenever you're making something, you are working, like making a project, especially a narrative one, you're working with constraints. And I, I've always liked creators and studios who maximize those constraints. And I think that has just made its way into my writing and creating process. So I have, for example, made some comics where I'm trying to think of how to bring down the page count and I want to make it less complicated. And kind of upon looking back on some things that I really like, I'm realizing you have to reduce the number of uh, locations, the number of scene changes, the number of characters, or just like really distilling it down to what is uh, oh, there's like that common writing advice that's like cut to the action. So it's kind of like that, but I just find different ways that like work for my brain on how to phrase it. I think my favorite example would be anime with certain studios like Trigger or mm. um, I remember watching a few, rewatching a few episodes of Orin High School and the way that they can hold their poses, they design like a really strong pose and then they hold it and that way there's only the one pose on screen for like three seconds, but it's still telling you so much information and keeping you entertained, even though it's like three second, one image. Yeah, I I noticed that a lot. Like I was especially surprised with the condensed storytelling when you managed to include a number of very poetic one page artistic moments. Like I feel like under those constraints, I'd be feeling like I'd have to cram as much as possible in every single page. But like it works very much to the book's benefit, like all those like black background images like those were some of my favorite moments of the book so i like i definitely see that anime influence and uh, like it feels a bit like you managed to transpose some element of animation to the page because i can see exactly how this would be depicted if this were in an anime <laughs> thank you i i'm someone who loves spot blacks and i think that comes from one of my major inspirations being uh land of the lustrous by haruko ishikawa so she really likes, especially early on, these very strong, strongly designed panels, action that makes panels, and this idea of like repetition. I mean, that comes more from like the Buddhist influence on the manga, but she was definitely a huge inspiration, I guess, like to my general style, and it made its way into Thunderlining. Now, I found on your website a bit of extra material for of Thunder and Lightning. Were the pages and short stories there material that was ever meant to be in the original book that just didn't fit? Uh, or was it always meant to be kind of its own separate thing? They were always meant to be separate. Um, of Thunder and Lightning is really Magni and Demo's story. And I always imagined that as like one package but as I was writing I wanted to tell these other stories because I was finding that um so Magni and Demo I don't consider them to be normal like characters with like like usually in a lot of stories like there's a character and they're like they have a certain viewpoint and then there's a conflict and it has to challenge there there's a little bit of it but there's not as much as like, I know a new thing now and I'm a better person for it. And I learned the theme, right? It's a little bit different, but I felt that more in the scientists, like 
I wrote it and then I was like drawing it. I was like, what are these gardeners or scientists thinking? And this idea of other and um, reflections between Magni and Demo, and they are in a way a reflection for the scientists, like whether or not they see it in them, it like their juxtaposition kind of informs those characters. So I was just thinking more and more about them. And I just wanted to write these things on the side for fun and just to imagine. I think the original one, the first one called Bouquet is between the two oldest gardeners. I think I was just feeling crazy that day. I was like, what if we just had some really angsty old woman, like on and off toxic relationship vibes um, it comes across well yeah yeah and then i add in all the the other stuff about like themes and working after that mm. so with this meant to be magni and demo's story uh does that mean there's not much intention to return to this world someday no i don't really intend to in a especially i don't feel like there's that much territory in imagining going forward because it would be just like completely different. I think I do. So of the the side stories that are on on the website, there are actually two more that I've written and they go backwards in time, actually. And then the final one that's on the website is actually my test comic, Seed, or uh, I think it's like Wish of the Heart is what I had called it at first, which is like chronologically the first one that happens. So I find that interesting because it somewhat tells the story of of Sif, the main gardener, but probably shouldn't get to it's not I didn't finish those. So (laughs) I felt like the feeling of that first story seed felt very different than uh, what the eventual book would become, but like also said a lot about this world that I might not have picked up on from the graphic novel itself. Would you say was there much change in your own conception or idea of what the book would be between your creation of seed and then embarking and finishing the rest of the book so actually seed was done after i finished writing and thumbnailing it and i needed a space to test the visual language that i wanted to use for the comic and i am just like someone who likes to be ambitious so i was like what is a story that would fit in this and then would also be space for testing out what brushes and tools I'm going to use, how I'm going to create the atmosphere. You can see there's like, it's mostly black and white, and then only the text is in red. And that's me starting to toy with the idea of limited color and how I want to use it. It obviously ends up quite differently. But it's really about those visuals and and testing the sound effects too, drawing them in, because I knew that that was going to be a big part of how I wanted to tell Magni and Demo's story. This is quite the ambitious jump from your previous comics maxing out at around like 21 pages to a full-size graphic novel. I'm curious what, like how long this story had been on your mind and uh, what drew you to this to be the Uh, first story of its size to embark on for a full graphic novel so when I originally came up with it it was much shorter and probably around 
it's hard to remember now, but probably around 40 pages. And so I had thought of it as the next step up of like, oh, I've done some stuff at like 20 ish pages, like I could do, you know, 30. I'm like, oh, 30, I need a little more room, I could do 40. And then I'm writing it and thumbnailing it. And it it's growing. And I'm like, whoo, that's also why I'm like really thinking about how to maximize what's on the page, because I'm like, I, I do know, like, I feel that these bigger projects are jumping straight into like 120 pages that might not have been manageable for me. In terms of when I started thinking of this story is I have always liked dark sapphic vibes, like lesbian queer stories that aren't necessarily, a romance is, is still fun, but like, in terms of me writing, like, I like a lot of like push and pull relationships, stuff that might get a little crazy. So for my senior portfolio project, I hope this is not going back too far. But um, I did a book cover for like a fake, uh, like a mock book cover for a fake dark sapphic anthology called A Heart for a Heart, which was actually inspired by An Eye for an Eye, which I wrote the summer-ish before. And I was like, oh, it'd be so funny if I did an extension of this. And so uh, I think it was like a heart for a heart, an eye for an eye, a heart for a heart, a life for a life. And I did, you know, I did that assignment for my senior year. And then it's in the summer, post-graduation is the pandemic. (laughs) And I am just screwing around. I'm like, well, like what would be stories that would be a heart for a uh, well I did an eye for an eye so like what's a heart for a heart and a life for a life and so mm-hmm. I just came up with it would be really cool if you just have magical girls fighting <laughs> <laughs> it really just comes from the base the base instinct of like what if another like a girl punched another girl really hard <laughs> <laughs> and also this idea of being like a weapon for a larger entity that might have kind of control over your agency and whether through being raised or like engineered in a certain way, your vocabulary for how you express your feelings and your life and connections with other people are just like reduced more and more. But like you have those feelings nonetheless. And that's really the core of like how I thought of Magni and Demo's relationship where they don't really own anything about themselves. They're company property. They can't determine what they do. They can't determine how they look. They can't determine what they're referred to, like their names, appearance, or anything. But like, they still feel what they feel. And words may be taken away from them, but they're still, they can't deny what a connection that they feel to another person. So is that what, when we see throughout the book, the various names and words blacked out uh, as if they've been redacted, uh, is that us seeing their language being taken away from them and their vocabulary lessened? Yeah, it's kind of like a piece of that where I, one, am not good at naming (laughs) 
<laughs> characters. And I, I was like, oh, I don't want to name all these gardeners. So how can I get around it? But also am working in a way that makes sense to the story. And I was like, well, this company owns everything. They own the countries and they, they're shaping the narrative and like lore of like the news and what's being, um, the information that's being passed around. And so Magni and then Demo is a, I don't know what the word it is, but the original name is Modi. Those are uh, sons of Thor and uh, Yggdrasil is also Nordic. And then Ragnarok is also like comes mm-hmm. from that kind of mythology. So anything that falls outside of that mythology, including people's names, get blocked out because they aren't determined valuable in this world. They're not like their identity is not seen by the company that determines all. Gotcha. And in contrast with the Nordic themes uh, under Yggdrasil and that particular company, I notice that the empire right that's modi's mm-hmm. side like they have the ark and modi themselves is has a very angelic appearance about them for the empire were you leaning more towards like judeo-christian mythology with their visual themes or was this mostly sticking to just the norse themes it was pulling from like biblical imagery and i chose these two primarily actually because it's not really about the original Norse myth and original Bible sources, but about these companies that have subsumed all and are recreating the world in their image. But it's like a pretty lacking image. It's very like regurgitated, recycled. So in 2020, there's a lot of talk about like returning to the past. So that had kind of came in as well. And so these two, so Nordic and biblical images are probably the most from, from what I've seen, common ones to come up in, for example, like JRPGs. And that's the kind of vibe that I was going for, that they like have made themselves into this really stereotypical company. You mentioned the dark sapphic influence on this and your previous work. And I mean, there's obviously magical girl influence throughout the book, but I'd love to hear what some of the main like specific works or specific influences were for you going into this story? I remember thinking about this a while ago and then realizing like, oh, this is just like my top favorite things, but it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mentioned Land of the Lustrous. That's definitely one of them. Another one is Penguin Drum, Mawaru Penguin Drum, uh, an anime directed by Ikuhara who did Utena. I had not seen Utena when I wrote slash thumbnailed this and I watched it in the middle of working on it because I was like, people are going to ask me about this and I have to know what this is all about. I actually, I really do like it. But the influence is definitely Penguin Drum and Near Automata was another one. I'm playing through that right now for the first time and it's been blowing me away. Near Automata is a really cool game. I should replay it because I blitzed through it over one spring break, like one week, two week period. But I really liked the storytelling method and the changing of the game mechanics to suit a certain section. This idea of like 
an other that you realize is not such a flat enemy as you thought. Those kind of things always speak to me. So I really enjoyed it. Now, you had mentioned certain constraints in going into this, like needing to limit locations, characters, and other aspects of the book. And with this being so Magical Girl inspired, I was kind of surprised at first that like, though we get this lineage for both Magni and Demo of the previous forms, uh, we never see them as like a Magical Girl team. Was that a decision made out of those constraints? Like, had there ever been a plan to like fill them out as like part of a Magical Girl team? Or were they always meant to be solo heroes in conflict? always meant to be solo heroes I think I had never I hadn't really considered it but I probably would not have done it for constraint reasons which is like you need to introduce everybody you need to fit everybody on the page and flesh out the interactions kind of enough I think Ensemble cast stuff is really fun I am personally a little bit intimidated it's something I want to tackle at some point but I am a little bit intimidated because I'm like, oh, like I overthink things. I am mm. a perfectionist. So I'm like, it has to be perfect. Everyone has to have their arc and like their little relationship thing. So the other part may be that I actually didn't grow up off of uh, Magical Girl animes as a kid. Well, one, I didn't have like a lot of the the channels that people might see those on. But two, I was a very much more uh, a shonen head. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like to think my life might have turned out differently if I had been exposed to Sailor Moon a little earlier, but <laughs> that was something I completely missed when it was on the air. Mm-hmm. Going further back into your work, and especially with O oh, Radiant Devil, O oh, Whispering Angel, I noticed this recurring theme of like the futility and personal cost of corporate work and just the drudgery of all that. And yeah, it makes its way through, of course, to of Thunder and Lightning and the conflicting companies there and the being just property of them. I can't help but wonder what kind of jobs may have been behind this sentiment. I was curious if you could speak to that. Well, so actually of Thunder and Lightning came was the first, well, Ivor and I was first. And then of Thunder and Lightning, I did the year after graduating in 2021 or finished in 2021. Uh, Radiant Double was actually last year. Oh, okay. Sorry, I had the timeline mixed up. No, no, it's okay. Because, uh, I mean, it got published. Thunder Lightning got published this year. Mm. Um, but it definitely... I So I'm an overthinker, as I mentioned just earlier. And also, I feel like the comic making process is just it's kind of long. It's kind of long. So with these projects, I intentionally or not end up imbuing things that I and mulling over, thinking about, worrying about what's going on around in my life. And so for Of Thunder and Lightning, what happened is that I graduated and I was looking for a job. I had actually gotten a job and that's the exact reason why I started this book. But it's not because I didn't have these feelings because of the job that I got. A lot of this comes a lot of the feelings around work and agency and identity come from just being someone who is on a trajectory to work in the arts and entertainment and seeing how that landscape is evolving, especially with social media and this idea of like, we also are, especially like influencers and stuff, 
we are also becoming products and it's not just it's not just influencers i i'd say people using the internet in general there's a there's a pressure and a trend to become maybe not a content creator as your your main income source but to do it on the side right you to make more interesting clips or videos and then that that slides up the scale into making it your job and i would be watching these videos of like YouTube influencers, for example, who might have started out as fashion, right? And they're starting to broaden out the scope of their videos to like vlogs. Here's how to journal. It really helps with my anxiety or something. But I was feeling this, this energy of like, you're, you're trying to make a living, but it's, these systems are pushing you to eat more and more into your own life and make it more and more commodifiable and like a product. And I feel like I was seeing that a little bit in the entertainment illustration sphere as well. And this is, this was my project to kind of, as I'm working on it, be like, what are my feelings about this? Like, I, hope that it doesn't come across as a didactic like this is happening and it's bad in like just bad there's nothing else to consider about it I really wrote it more as a way to kind of think about what does it mean to like give up your agency or have it taken away from you to feel these pressures like do do you have that choice and I don't know the answer. I'm, I haven't lived that too many years. So, but it was a topic that interested me while working on this. Now, as for your less corporate stories, like I've noticed the ones that don't have that as an element tend to explore more witches and folklore in Mm -hmm. these other works of yours. I'd be curious to hear a little bit more about your sources of inspiration for those as opposed to these other more technocratic stories. Yeah. I just love fantasy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think fantasy and magic, I feel like ironically, I can believe them more. Whereas things like realistic fiction, I mean, it's not so much now. But growing up, I didn't really like realistic fiction uh, or contemporary stuff because I'm always caught up in like, is this really how it happens or how someone would react? Or especially writing it, right? I feel like there's a lot of things where like, I don't, I don't know. I haven't been in this exact situation before. And like other people might have. So like they would know that (laughs) I'm a faker (laughs) or something like that. Mm. Whereas with fantasy, I can invent and reshape this world. And somehow it just makes, it makes sense to me also in like that design constraint sense where I'm like, then I dictate the rules and then the rules also inform like what kind of rules a story has also informs how you can interpret a lot of what's going on. And they can help you tell the story without you necessarily needing someone to go through the actions of what you're trying to portray and just kind of add to the environment that everything is sitting in. As for the future. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about what's next for you as an artist or any creative projects that you have on the horizon. I have a lot of things that I have been plotting but not committed to, but I will be steadily working on them. 
I guess if you wanna check them out, see whenever I drop mm-hmm. new news, I'm on social media, Twitter. It'll it'll show up on my website at one point, uh, Kimberley.com, K-M-B-R-L-E-I, which is also the handle that you can find me at at most social media sites, except for Twitter. Don't know if that will be around for how much longer, but that one is Raven in Blue. It's just a very old, old username. Mm -hmm. Can't get my new username on there. Is there any particular type of project you think you'll want to do next? Like, are you leaning more toward more graphic novels or more short form comics or something different altogether? Um, I have a few short form comics in the works. A few things that are kind of like about caring for yourself and health, but like in a really weird way. I do have longer things that I'm thinking of. There's a lot of other work feelings in there, but also gay vibe girls who throw bricks at each other. Sign me up. <laughs> I would love to know more about that. But if that's a project that's uh, it's a not little too ready early, to I'm gonna curse myself if I if I speak too much about it. <laughs> as far as other like type of work, since I know you're a working artist and looking for commissions and such, is there anything you hope to be able to focus on more going forward between like your work doing backgrounds or just doing more comics or something more like character design work? I enjoy doing uh, my background design work. I, ideally, I'd like to have like a nice design route on the side and then keep comics for myself. I think that does about cover everything I had prepared for you this week. But I do like to end off on just one more unrelated question of the week. And given the themes of this book and some of the things you've mentioned already, I want to know what magical girl you think is best. Is best? Mm-hmm. I really like Cardcaptor Sakura. I have a really soft spot. Also, she roller skates. Uh, we mm. talked about roller skating before this episode, but right, yeah. And your bio mentions roller skating very specifically as one of like your main yes. interests. So, like, are we? Are you ever going to give us a roller skating character or explore the world of roller skating in your future work? Girls who throw bricks at it. well, it's not a brick; it's a trophy, but I shorten it to brick. Girls who throw mm. trophies at each other—they're roller skating. Kind of. Okay, the, you're you keep selling me on this, and I'm, <laughs> like every little detail, I'm a little more sold. But I just want to thank you one last time, Kim, for making the time to come on the show. I really can't say enough how much I like this work, and for everyone else who has the time to check out of Thunder and Lightning, I do recommend you check out Kim's website as well because I I think the extra material is excellent and a great addition. So they've got a lot to offer in the way of comics. Thank you so much. If the listeners at home have requests or recommendations for comics or creators you'd like us to cover in the future, you can send them our way on social media. You can find us on the Transcending Comics Instagram and Facebook page or Twitter as at Transcend Comics or email us at transcendingcomics at gmail.com. I'd like to thank you for giving our podcast a chance and give a special shout out to Ray Day Parade for designing our logo. Our intro and outro music this week is A Little Soul and You've Been Starring by Carlson. Join us again next week as we continue transcending boundaries and exploring the colorful world of trans, non-binary, and genderqueer representation in comic books of all kinds. As the curtains fall on this episode of Transcending Comics, remember that comics have the power to inspire change in countless worlds, including our own. Keep reading, keep writing, and keep transcending. 